Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Almighty and most gracious Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have revealed yourself not only through creation but also through your word that we might be able to know more about who you are and the covenant you have made with your people through Jesus Christ, our mediator. Lord, we pray that we would seek to be able to see your justice and your righteousness as you see you protect us from all of our oppressors. Do not leave us in their hands. Lord, that we would see your goodness, that we would trust in you. Lord, help our eyes see and long for that day of salvation where we are glorified with you when Christ comes to be able to raise the living and the dead. Lord, is that fulfillment of your righteous and glorious promise which you have revealed through your word. Deal with us according to your steadfast love, your faithfulness, Lord, not how we deserve to be treated, but by your mercy and your grace, through your steadfast love, that you would teach us your statues as we hold on to your promises. In Jesus Christ's holy and blessed name we pray, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. This is God's holy, inerrant, life-giving word. Please take heed how you hear. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it. On the ground. And he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord your God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, that they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe them, even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Paul states in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, that Jews demand a sign. See this not only in Paul's letter as he writes to the Corinthians, but also throughout the gospel accounts, that many people would come to Christ and, and demand a sign that they might be able to know who he is. They see him heal and do these signs and wonders, and they want to see it for their own eyes. This is exactly what the Jewish people sought from the promised Messiah. 
because this is exactly how God had worked with his people throughout all the ages. This happens throughout the Bible. You see it here in the book of Exodus. The prophet is given a word to be able to speak, to be able to utter to the people of God. And the Lord gives them a sign to be able to confirm that word. Now, often it's flipped around. The people think that they want the sign. The sign is the important thing. The sign is never the important thing. It is always the word of the Lord. People will come in the last day and utter to Jesus, Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name. Lord, Lord, I healed the sick in your name. But God said, you did not believe in me. I do not know you. The important thing is not the sign, the prophecy or the healing the sick. The important thing is believing the word of God, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this passage, we see that Moses, that plan that Moses is to be able to go first to the elders of Israel and then to be able to go to Pharaoh, as we saw last time. And Moses was specifically told that Pharaoh would not listen to him unless he is compelled by a mighty hand. And then after that, Pharaoh would let God's people go with great possessions. But yet in this this passage of chapter 3 and chapter 4, we see Moses is is reluctant. Moses is, is unwilling to some extent to be able to go. He's hesitant. He comes up with list of list of excuses. Today, the passage begins with another excuse. What if the elders do not listen to me? Now, God had already told Moses that they would listen to him. He says in verse 18, And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt. Yet look at what Moses' response is. But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. It's not merely that Moses is here questioning God. What happens in this scenario where they don't listen, they don't believe? Actually, Moses says they won't believe me. God said they will, and Moses turns around and says they will not. He he utters the exact opposite of what God had promised to be able to do. Now again, this is not the picture that we have of Moses. Here he is. I don't believe he's merely just doubting. But he actually says the opposite of what God had promised. That they will not believe. They will not listen to him. They will question his words that the Lord appeared to him. Now, before we continue, we need to point out something very important. The Lord had told Moses to say to the elders and also to Pharaoh, the Lord appeared to me. This is very important that Moses says they won't believe him because they don't believe the Lord appeared to Moses. Moses, whether doubting or in defiance, he understands that he is merely a messenger of the Lord. 
that he has no authority of himself to be able to go before the elders of Israel to be able to utter this, no authority of his own accord to be able to stand before Pharaoh and demand that he let his people, God's people go. Moses understands that he is a messenger of God, and if he is not sent by God, if the Lord has not appeared to him, then his whole ministry, his whole message is worthless. People often think that prophets are puffed up, arrogant people that just want their voice to be heard. A true prophet is the opposite. A true prophet is the exact opposite where they understand they are not about themselves or their ego. They are merely their servants of God. Then Moses understands that if God didn't appear to him, then his ministry, his message, and his, uh, is useless, worthless. But also we need to see that Moses is somewhat of a prototype of Israel. Here he is in the wilderness. The Lord appears to him and gives him a word. And what does he do? He questions, he doubts, he defies God's word. Questions the truthfulness of God. This is exactly what Israel would do. Maybe then we understand Moses is hard when God says, I'm going to wipe them all out. (laughs) Moses turns around and says, don't do that. People will question who you are. That's not your character. You didn't wipe me out when I had questions, when I doubted in the wilderness. But as we see in this passage, this passage about God revealing himself not only to Moses, but to the Israelite people. Not only to the Israelite people, but also the Egyptians, to the rest of the world. So what do we see as God reveals himself? How does God reveal himself? What do we learn about God from a passage like this? What do these signs and wonders reveal about who God is. The first thing that we see this morning is God shows his power. God shows his power. The great signs and wonders that God will do show his power and his might. See this clearly in the previous chapter in verse 19, where the Lord explains that Pharaoh will need to be compelled by a mighty hand. In Numbers chapter 33, We're told merely that it's not merely a battle against God versus Pharaoh. God's people versus Pharaoh's people. But it is God versus the gods of Pharaoh. And God shows his power and his might through these signs. They show his power to his people. That they might be able to believe and listen to God. And God's prophet Moses. We'll see more of these great signs and wonders of how they're a battle against the gods in the chapters 7 to 12. But what about these specific signs that we see here on this mountain that God reveals to Moses? God does not seek again to explain Moses' concern about how they will not listen. God shows his power and his might to Moses, as he will then show to the people of God. God does all of these signs before Moses' eyes. Moses has no idea what the Lord is doing, but he sees these great signs. 
Matthew Henry points out that there's no spell, there's no charm, there's no incantation. These things all happen at the power of God and by the power of God. Previously, God had told Moses that he would have a sign for himself. That all these things at the end, when the people of God are worshiping God on this mountain, Moses will know he has been called by God. But he still shows Moses these signs. And he shows Moses these signs that he might be able to see his power. So these three specific signs show God's power. The first sign shows God's power over the serpent. First sign is the staff turning into a serpent and then turning back again. This sign shows God's power over the serpent. We've touched on this partly before, but I think it's also important to be reminded that this serpent sign has two connected meanings. The first is that often is that Pharaoh's headdress had the image, a golden uh, idol of a cobra, a rearing cobra upon his crown. Now this is called a Uraeus. And this was a symbol of sovereignty, royalty, deity, divine authority in all of Egypt. And here that image is that God's power is over Pharaoh, over all of these things that Pharaoh claims to be able to be. The second aspect is God is more powerful than Satan. The serpent appears in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve fall, the serpent tried to be able to crush the head of the sons of Israel by stopping the promise of that promised son which is to come, who is going to crush the serpent's head. But he fails to do so. And God shows his power over Satan that he is going to be fulfill the promise made in the garden that day. The first sign shows God's power over the serpent. The second sign shows God's power over sickness. Sickness was a result of the fall, and Moses, as he puts his hand under his cloak, turns leprous. He puts it again under his cloak, and it turns back. His hand turns white as snow. Now, this is not what we would call leprosy today, which is Hansen's disease. But in Leviticus chapter 13, it speaks of a variety of different skin diseases that fall under the category which the Bible uses of leprosy. And Moses brings his hand out under the cloak, it's restored like it was before to the rest of his flesh. God shows his power that extends not only to Satan, but also to sickness. Why is this important? When we think about God's power and extends not merely over Satan, to be able to stop him, defeat him, but also to be able to restore things to what it was once like, before sickness. We see this clearly in Jesus' earthly ministry as he comes into the world and he performs signs and wonders to be able to show his power and his might. He does this most frequently through the healing of sick. People will come from miles around to be able to have Christ heal their sick. In several cases, it's that of leprosy. 
And here God is showing his power over might, his power over sickness. The third, third sign shows God's power over death. The third and final sign, which is explained to Moses but not shown to Moses here in this very time, is very important. Because it's not merely that he changes water into blood, that he changes the Nile into blood. That is a very important distinction we need to understand. It's an important sign that will then not only be shown to the people of God, but also to Pharaoh, the first plague or the first sign and wonder. But the Nile River was critical and a crucial point of Egyptian life, religiously, but also practically as well. The Nile was the symbol of the God of life that sustained all things. In times of drought in surrounding areas, many people would come and go to Egypt. Because in a time of drought, Egypt had sustainable life because of the Nile River that flowed throughout her bounds. Even without this great amount of rain, Egypt was still able to sustain life. You see that in the story of Abraham in chapter 12. Isaac is told not to go down to Egypt. You must assume that he's heading down there. Jacob turns down to Egypt when his, through that seven years of severe famine underneath, uh, when Joseph was still alive. But what you see is here life is turned into blood, into death. We'll speak more of this as we get to the signs and wonders in chapter 7. However, it's very important to remember that this is the same river which was once turned the same color of blood. Pharaoh commanded his people to cast any son of Israel into this river. And God will show his power over death by saving his people through blood, through the Passover lamb. Shows his power over death through the death of the firstborn sons but also the water that will crush Pharaoh and his army as they seek to be able to destroy his people. Water turned into blood once more. And God shows his power and his might over all these things. That the people of God know that he is the powerful God, the most powerful God. Psalm 106 explains that the people of God did not consider God's wondrous works when they were in Egypt. However, it does go on to say that yet... He saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. They didn't understand, they didn't know, they didn't quite comprehend these glorious, wondrous signs. But he saves them still for his name's sake. And God shows his power over Satan's sickness and death in these great signs and wonders. And this is why the, the cross is foolishness to Jews. Because cross shows God's power through weakness. Signs point to the message, the hope of the gospel. The second thing that we see in this passage is it shows God's leader. It shows God's leader. Moses is God's chosen leader. The signs 
shown to Moses here on this day will be performed by Moses to be able to confirm that he is the chosen one sent by God to be able to carry out this rescue and redeeming mission. And Moses' staff is not merely a walking stick, but it is used as a symbol of his authority as a leader. In Numbers chapter 17, the Lord instructs Moses to be able to grab the staff from every tribe, to write their names on it, to put it all together. And only one of these staffs buds the next day. It is to signify God's chosen high priest found in Aaron, Moses' brother. That here, the staff is given to Moses as God's leader. Staff is used in many of the signs and wonders we'll see in chapters 7 to 12. It's used as the means which the sign is performed. Actually, later in this chapter, it's actually called the staff of God. And God chose Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. The people of God will grumble and complain, question many times. Psalm 105 explains, he sent Moses his servant and Aaron whom he had chosen. They performed the signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. Your God is setting apart Moses to be able to carry out this task. Now this, I think, is why it's very important in Numbers chapter 20 when Moses misuses the staff instead of speaking to the rock. That Moses is then not allowed to be able to enter the promised land because he's misusing the authority given to him. But even with this sin, Moses is still seen as the great leader of the people of God. In the end of Deuteronomy, it records, there has not arisen a prophet since in the Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him and all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. Here Moses will be able to be used by God to be able to do these great signs and wonders, or as the author of Deuteronomy there records, these great deeds of terror. But the third thing that we see that these signs show and reveal about God is His grace. That these signs, powerful signs and wonders, show God's grace. We need to understand this reveals how gracious God is to Moses, to His people, and even to Pharaoh. God shows his grace to Moses by showing him these signs on the mountain. God had already told him he will have a sign when the people are worshiping me on this mountain. That is not enough for Moses. God is able to be able to show these signs right before his very eyes. To be able to lift up his eyes that he might be able to proceed in faith. Now Moses is reluctant to go, as we'll see clearly next time, and even seen so far. 
However, God shows him grace by comforting him about who he is. The God who is the Almighty, powerful. That is the God who is with him. The God who keeps his promises. Not only shows his grace to Moses, but secondly also shows his grace to his people. Moses is sent to the elders. And they're the ones who see these signs. And they believe that the God of their fathers has visited them. That the God of their fathers has seen their affliction. And they in turn turn and worship the one true living God. That God shows his grace to his people by showing his might and his power. But the third aspect is the Lord shows his grace to all the nations. Pharaoh had oppressed God's people for 400 years. God had every right to be able to judge them for their deeds. Right at that very moment. No more evidence needed to be taken. But these signs and wonders, which we will see, show forth God's power and grace even to others. When we get to Exodus chapter 13, we would have seen the many times and moments of grace which are given to Pharaoh. But his response is not like the people of God. The people of God see these signs and wonders and fall down and worship the one true living God. Pharaoh is shown these signs and his heart is hardened. And he does not turn down and bow to the one true living God who performs these signs and wonders. His heart gets puffed up. His ego stroked. But what we see is these are shown to reveal God's grace to his people. Again, Psalm 105. Psalm 105 and Psalm 106 are the Exodus Psalms, you might say. But here Psalm 105 begins by saying, O give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. We see that it's not only the benefit of Moses, the Israelites, and others in this book, but also to us. That we get to see the God who has revealed himself through his word in all of his power and his majesty that we would worship him. That we would bow down and glorify his name. As we sing in that great hymn, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise. We begin by saying immortal, invisible, God only wise. In light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. 
It is not only God has revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush of what his name is, but the essential character of who God is. That God is almighty, strong, gracious, who reveal himself to Moses in the cleft of the rock. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. This is the God that we see here through these mighty signs. That we might be able to fall down and worship him. That we worship the same true living God. That we see God come down in flesh in Christ. To be able to show his power and his might. Not to be able to conquer the enemies that are around us but the enemy of Satan who has defeated mankind through the fall. But he has not won the battle. Christ comes and defeats Satan, that last enemy of death, that he shows his power and his might even in the weakness of the cross. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have revealed yourself through your word and your word. Lord, that we are able to see that you are the almighty God, the powerful one who shows us grace even through your power and your, and your might. We pray, Lord, that we would respond not like Pharaoh hardening our hearts, but respond like that of the people of God, falling down and worshiping the one true living God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to do that. Lord, help us. We see Christ, the one who is almighty, the one who is the beginning and the end, the almighty one who has defeated all our enemies on our, for our sake. We pray in his holy and blessed name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.